Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nick Berry. Nick, how are you doing, my friend? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Good. No, no, no worries at all. For everyone listening, uh, me and Nick have had a few technical problems. We had a couple of false starts, but we're both here now. We're both smiling. All is well. I'm going to do you a bit of an introduction, Nick. So there's a way more of a background than this, but at the minute, Nick is currently the Director of Offensive Security Operations for Asura. Very experienced chap. Nick, I've done you a really high-level overview there. If we can start with who are you, what have you been up to, and how have you got to where you are today? Yeah, so, yeah, Nick Berry. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm currently the Director of Offensive Security Operations at Assura Inc., company out of Richmond, Virginia. And day-to-day, I run our penetration testing team and our vulnerability management as a service program. Outside of that, my background is I came up in law enforcement and decided I didn't really like it. <laughs> decided I needed to make a change and I'd always loved learning new things and tinkering with computers. And so I went down that path, not really sure where I was going to end up and met a penetration tester. Did not know who they were at the time. It's a big name. <laughs> I won't name drop, but it was a big name and I had no clue that's who they were. <laughs> And they had a really good influence on me in terms of inspiring me to go down that path. And so worked my way through school. That's the route I took to get in. Not necessarily always the route I would recommend, but for me, that's the way I took. And got in on the GRC side, actually, of cybersecurity. So working on information security programs, documentation, third-party risk, vendor management, that type of thing. And then eventually paved my own path at Assura to get into penetration testing in the offensive security space. Also do some moonlighting for Mac and Cobalt. Mm. And so outside of that, I like to work with other people doing cool projects, break things and, and see how we can fix them. I think as well, Nick, it's, I was the same when you first find out that hacking is an actual real job. Yeah. I, didn't go, <laughs> I didn't go down the kind of hands-on route, but I was very much the same. It's reading about it for I think at one point it was like seven to nine hours a day. It was just it was just ridiculous. But I think it's one thing getting excited about it. It's another thing actually implementing something and sticking with it and progressing through it because it's it's easy to get excited about it at first, but then to have the consistency and persistence and discipline to stick with it and get really good is probably two different things, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There <laughs> I think the industry as a whole would all agree the way that pen testing or offensive security has blown up, red teaming, whatever you want to call it, has just blown up over the past few years in terms of popularity. It's because it's sexy, right? Like it's the cool <laughs> thing to do. Um, and it is. It, it absolutely is. I will not say that it's not. But going beyond just getting into it and, and starting out and that initial like puppy love feeling that you have where you want to do it all day, every day, eventually that can start to fade and it does, it comes down to discipline where, mm. okay, I'm no longer feeling motivated to continue down this path. And do I need to make a change or do I rely on discipline? And motivation is one of those things. Motivation, inspiration comes and goes. It's fleeting, right? You go through periods where you're extremely motivated and inspired. And then you go through periods where you have a lull. And I tend to just go along with those things, but I also mm. implement discipline and say, okay, Hey, I'm not feeling like I'm going to sit down and do a two or three hour learning session tonight, but I am going to read one article today or watch one YouTube video. I always make time for something a little bit here and there, whether I'm in the mood for it or not. And yeah, that definitely is a factor. Yeah, I think that's a really good point for the listeners to hear because... I've heard it on various podcasts that I listened to myself recently that motivation is heavily overrated and yeah. discipline is underrated or should be more more prevalent, which is essentially what you've just what you've just said there. And I agree. And I think another point as well is what you've almost there's a book I've read, I've mentioned it on previous episodes called The Slight Edge by 
Jeff Oslin. And the whole book is essentially what you've just said there about, I'm just going to do that today. I'm just going to do that. And the, the compound effect over six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months of just doing an article a night or just doing half an hour here, half an hour there, I think can have a substantial effect on career progression. But that brings me quite nicely, Nick, on, on to my second question, which is you've progressed to, to director level within offensive security. But I think for people listening, whether they're in cloud security, offensive security, whether they're SOC analysts, I think people listening will be interested to hear what do you think has made you progress to director level and what are the key skills required and what can people listening learn from your journey in that respect? Yeah, so... Obviously, at some point in your career, you have to make a decision, go down the management track or stay technical, right? Right now, I'm lucky and I get to play both sides of the field. So I don't take that for granted. But I think getting going down that management track, if you want to become a leader in your organization and your team, the industry, whatever, it comes down to being able to see the forest for the trees, right? Being able to detach, take a step back, and look at the long-term effects of decisions, plan strategically, and also understand, especially I'll take a step back, the companies that I work for, my primary employer, Ashura, we're consultants. And so understanding how our deliverables can be better, how I can affect that, how I can affect change inside of a client's environment, inside their information security program, or even broader than that, and being able to implement that strategically and communicate that effectively is huge. That's, I think, the primary difference between someone who's extremely technically skilled and they may go to the moon and stars in terms of being able to hack a system. But being able to translate that into business terminology, create a business plan around that and implement it effectively, be able to measure that, be able to switch up plans when things go wrong, learn how to pivot. I think that's a lot of what, at least in my experience, has gotten me to where I am. Yeah, thanks. There's quite a bit to there's quite a bit to unpack there. So the first questions I want I wanted to ask you was, do you think the fact that you're still on the tools, albeit not full time? Do you think that enhances your management capabilities in terms of your team now and potentially because you're still in the weeds now and again, that kind of gets you additional respect perhaps? Um, it's a bit of a leading question, but I'd be interested yeah. to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> no, I, I think anyone who's been in the industry or really just any job, if you have a manager, supervisor, boss, leader, whatever you like to call them. If you have someone above you in the chain of command and they've been out of it for a while, mm. you notice, right? Like they, they'll throw out, this is how we used to do it. And it's, yeah, we haven't done that in, that way in five, 10 years, or we haven't done that way since I've been alive. <laughs> I've had to say that to people sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, I've never heard of anyone doing it that way. And they're like, yeah, back in 1963, that's how we did it. And I'm like, I was not even a thought back then. And so for me, I always want to have some connection to the service delivery side. I never want to take a full a step back from it completely because I do think it's important to keep your ear to the ground of what's changing, how things, tactics, techniques are changing, how we can improve the service, things like that. And so staying close, but also being detached, like I said, having that dichotomy of back and forth, I think is really important. Yeah, no, and, and, and do you know what, Nick? It's really nice to hear you say that because one of the things you mentioned about five minutes ago was making your deliverables better. And like I say, if you're if you're getting far removed from it, you know, with the best will in the world, how how is that possible to do that to a very high standard if you if you're completely off the tools? And another point as well is I think it really resonates with me what you've just said about if someone's I think from I know from a staff retention point of view, if you're on the tools doing it, it will mean that the morale and the culture amongst your team is so much higher. I actually spoke to a pen tester recently 
very senior chap, very good, looking looking to move. And it's because his company has gone through a life cycle of, of acquisition and his new manager has never pen tested. And yeah. it's, drive, it's driving, this guy is driving him insane. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think from a culture perspective, I think for your own kind of, for your own self-development and stuff like that, and for the team and retention, so there's endless endless benefits there. It's, it's nice that you're in a role where you've got, it's because some management roles, they, you can't get on the tools anymore. So I presume that you're, you're quite liking the fact that you've, not in terms of working arrangements, but in terms of what you're doing day-to-day is very much kind of that hybrid arrangement. I presume it's keeping you pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those things that we talked about when I went into this role is, do you want to be a player coach or do you just want to be a coach? And I said, I don't know that I ever just want to be in a coaching position. One, it's, in my opinion, it's not as much fun. Maybe as time goes on, that'll change. In my opinion, that will change. But I do still like to get in there and pop shells. That's fun. But like you said, it also comes back to the sense of morale within the team, being able to get in there, speak the language, take on the tasks and ease the burdens of mm. team members mm. there. We've all, if you're in the field, been through a test that is just a nightmare. Things are going wrong. You feel like you're running out of time. You're not making the progress. If I can come in and be your relief hitter, <laughs> then I can pop in there and help you out and take some of that burden off the team. And that's what it's all yeah. about is we play as a team. There's mm. no one person that does it all. And so yeah. I, I think that's a big thing. And then just a final point on what you just said a few minutes ago was what's allowed you to progress is your ability to articulate whether it be different vulnerabilities or essentially just your communication skills. And if I'm sat here now as a listener thinking, I really want to get to where Nick is, I really want to get to a manager level, a head of level, a director level, but my communication is poor or it's not quite as good as it needs to be, but I really want it to be, what what should I be doing to get it where it needs to be? So I think that's a difficult question to answer because everybody comes from a different place. For me, my background was, like I said, coming out of law enforcement. So I had to learn to talk to people. (laughs) You're dealing with people that are going through a mental health crisis or they don't want to cooperate with you for some reason or another, whatever that may be. And you, your best weapon is de-escalation. And so communicating effectively and not making things worse. And I, I say I came in with a slight advantage there, but I think the biggest thing is doing an analysis of your skills, figuring out what you are good at, what you're not good at, and then coming up with a plan on how you're going to fix that or fill that gap, just like you would if you were learning a new technique in penetration testing. Hey, I want to get really good at web app testing. Specifically, I want to look at .NET framework web apps. For whatever reason, that's what I'm super interested in. We're probably going to go out and look for resources on that specific subject, find subject matter experts, come up with a plan, make a list of things you want to do and accomplish. And I would recommend you do the same with communication. Figure out what you are good at and what you're not good at. Find someone that does it the way you wish you could do it and learn how to take that on, learn those skills. And then eventually you'll figure out how to do it your way. It's always easier to adopt somebody else's methodology and then you know, come up yeah, with your own yeah. words. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other piece of it is, and that's so pretty much we're talking about like verbal communication there. The other aspects of it are written communication. You need to be able to write well. For me, like I said, I went through the university track. And so there was a lot of writing, especially at the master's level. So I learned to write somewhat eloquently and effectively to a technical audience, non-technical audience. So learning how to write well, and then also just learning about business. I don't have an MBA, but I read a lot of books that prep you for the MBA. I just went, you know, and talked to people that are leaders in business and try to understand where are they coming from? What do they care about? What do they not care about? Specifically, what do they not care about? (laughs) And avoid those things. You don't want to bore anybody with what they don't want to hear. And so a lot of business leaders want to get down to brass tacks. Their their time is valuable and they want to get to the punchline. And so being able to judge that effectively and say, okay, this person, I need to hop into this meeting, give them the bullet points, and then we're hopping back out because they do not want to be in here. Other people like you to stroke their ego a little bit. 
Hey, how you doing? I see you guys just got this big win, blah, blah, blah. Other people, they want to talk about their family. They want to talk about their dogs. Learning that, being able to build a relationship, communicate in the way that they want to be communicated with, those types of things are really important to learn. No, definitely. Thanks, Nick. And again, there's quite there's quite a bit you've you've just said there. And I think as well, what you've just said is it's if learning what you're good at and not good at was something you said, but also if you have typically been in the weeds, like I don't know, doing web app or mobile cloud, whatever you've been doing, and you haven't had loads of communication, maybe you're working in a remote environment. I think sometimes it's fair. Maybe in that sense, why would you be a great communicate it if you're really low level guy or girl i know for my job i'm on the phone to our team internally i'm on the phone to clients i'm on the phone to candidates so i'm communicating all day but if you put me on a web app pen test now you'd probably laugh at me so it's, i think it's we, we can't expect to be great at things that we're not doing every day so i think essentially some of what you said is, is practice and i like the way you related it to if you were going to get good at i think you might have said you might have said web app if you're going to yeah. if you're going to get good at web app you would go and find some learning sources to do with getting really good at hacking web apps so if you want to get good at written communication we live in the age of the internet where learning resources are just everywhere. Do the same for the written side of things. If it's verbal communication, do the same for verbal communication. And perhaps don't be, I think sometimes it's easy to go, oh, I'm not very good at written skills or I'm not, I'm, communication skills not my thing. And I think the minute you start doing that, it's, don't, I think you can learn anything at any age if your mindset's there and uh, yeah it's just just be willing to be uncomfortable for a short period of time to to sharpen up those skills that just aren't necessarily natural perhaps yeah yeah my my wife had to do this when she was taking i think it was communication either in high school or college where she had to go downtown here in a city called fredericksburg virginia she had to go downtown and just walk up to people and start talking to them and i had to videotape it (laughs) Nothing will put you on the spot and make you improve your communication skills, like having to start a conversation and they would give her like a prompt and it would be some weird goofy prompt or whatever, but it was to one, evaluate her communication skills and her ability to take a conversation and keep it moving and get to a certain point, but also to learn how to react to how people are going to react to you. Not that I'm saying just go downtown and start trying to talk to people, but if you're at a coffee shop, make conversation. If you're sitting at a bar and there's someone next to you and they look like they're having a bad day, talk to them. There's no better way to get better than doing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. No, thank you, my friend. Moving on to the next question, Nick. So I know you've been involved with university course content. It's an area that I... I know we spoke about just before we came on air. I, I think I said to you before a few weeks ago when we were chatting on I think it was Zoom or Google Meets, but I think the learning and, and what we're doing with university course content or what's happening with online learning resources, I think since remote working, it's more important than ever. If you could tell me and the listeners about some of the changes and things you're doing with the university, that'd be nice to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm... My dogs are barking. Do I need to close? No, it's, no. I was gonna, you know, what I was going to say to you, don't worry. This is modern day 2023 remote podcasting. This is just okay. normal. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was, I'm always concerned about that. Noise suppression only does so well. Fine. It's fine. Yeah. So I am actually helping Norwich University redevelop their vulnerability assessment kind of penetration testing courses for the bachelor level. And a lot of that is bringing the course content up to modern standards. I don't think anyone that's been through university and also been out there and taken some of the free content or any of these training platforms and compares the two would be able to make the argument that what you're getting at a hack the box, a try hack me, TCM, offensive security, you name the platform Mm. that you're not getting a better value there than you are in a university setting. Uh, And I think that luckily my university is recognizing that. And so that's where we're trying to bridge that gap, bring in more interactive labs that are up to date, bring in more content that's up to date and engaging and actually prepares you 
to go out and become a penetration tester or a vulnerability analyst, not just teaching you the theory and the, the book knowledge of it, but actually here's how you go execute this. This is why this is important. This is how you do it and getting away from kind of the old school methodologies that universities have been using where uh, for the most part, they stay in the realm of theory and adopting that hands-on approach, getting your hands dirty, having something to show for it. And so my students that go through these two courses at the very end will actually have a number of reports that they can use as, as part of their portfolio. They'll be able to say, yes, I actually executed a full penetration test inside of a simulated network. Here is an example of a report that I've written. Here's a social engineering engagement that I developed, sent out all these emails. I, of course, in a simulated environment, got these credentials, and this is what I did with them and how I leveraged them, that kind of thing. And so to be able to actually speak that language after you get done with the coursework is really important instead of just saying, the book says I would do it this way. And so I think that's how it's done. And I know that because I came from that, right? My first interview, that's a lot of what I was just regurgitating what came out of a book. And the individual interviewing me said, yeah, technically that's right, but that's not how it's actually done in the real world. Yeah. I don't want people feeling that way. I want them to speak the language and be able to do it from day one. And so that's my goal in the redesign. Mm, that's a, that sounds like a really good initiative and a really logical approach as well and you know what nick i think you'll be single-handedly increasing university attendance rates because if the lecturer turns around tomorrow and says we're doing a lab and we're actually going to hack a web app or we're actually going to do some social engineering listen it sounds to me like a lot more fun than what uni's normally yes yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah that's what i want to see is high engagement (laughs) yeah definitely so there's a question i've got so I wanted to know, just out of interest, really, how long will that take to piece together and bring up to date? And then my next question with it was, how will we, how will it be kept up to date? Because obviously with the pace that things move at, it will be almost, not continuous, but it will be a very much an ongoing task, won't it? Yeah, the first part of that, it will take us through probably the first quarter of 2024, uh, to get everything finalized and through with the review process. There's a lot of checks and balances. We have to meet a lot of guidelines. And, and so making sure that everything passes the smell test is the first part. And then so after that, keeping it up to date, I've actually thrown myself to the wolves, so to speak, and volunteered to also take on teaching the course. And so it's something for me giving back, right? Giving the knowledge that I've gained through other people back to those that are trying to get into the industry and being available for them as a resource. And as long as I stay on with the program, I will keep it up to date. Obviously, if I leave, I can't control what they do after that. But that is something that's inside my power as a professor there is to maintain the content. And obviously, it's an expectation. I I can't say enough how many times I was frustrated going through. I went to two different universities that at both of them, you'd run into dead links, videos that didn't exist anymore. You go to do a lab and the tool doesn't work anymore and the package that supported it has been gone for three or four years things like that and it's frustrating and so i want to make sure that my students avoid those types of pitfalls and frustrations and make sure that they're on top staying on top of what's current yeah very good but yeah okay cobalt synac director of security operations teacher and the upkeep of the course you're certainly not going to be getting bored are you (laughs) yeah i'll have to take a step back from one of those one or two of those. And honestly, it'll probably be the freelancing and the bug bounty side of things. I had my fun there and made some side cash. And so Mm. that's always great. But I think at this point for me, my motivation has gone less from being out there trying to prove myself, so to speak, and more to seeing myself as a resource for others to use and being available to them, I think is more important than trying to line my coffers. (laughs) Yeah, no, I really like that. And I think as well, one, another real positive that 
I know happens when you have that mentality, which you've clearly got, is it reinforces your existing knowledge. So I think it, it's obviously the benefits for the community are clear, but I think for yourself as well, it, like I say, I think it keep, keeps you sharp. And if there's young guys or girls coming through that are pretty talented, it might keep you on your toes and push you as well. So it could work nicely yeah. both ways. Both ways, you're good. Yeah, good. absolutely. I never want to be the smartest person in a room. And yeah. so I'm always looking for somebody to challenge me, even if... Say I am the smartest person in the room at the time and somebody asks me a question that I can't answer. That's awesome. That's a good opportunity. It's always a good thing. I'm never shy away from telling somebody I don't know, which is a good tip for those of, the, those of you listening that haven't gotten into the field or have and just haven't gotten good at this. There's nothing wrong with saying you don't know follow up and give them an answer when you find out <laughs> it's funny tim from red siege one of his interview questions is it's a purposely ridiculously hard question yeah and no one can answer because he wants to make sure that people aren't scared to say i don't know so it's, it's true yeah. you need to be able to we uh, i do the same thing we'll throw out something where i'm like there's no way you're going to be able to answer this and i want to see how they're going to react and yeah. are you going to say i don't know or or are you going to say, I don't know, but I know where I can find out? Like, how are you going to explain this? Or are you just going to be and give me some answer yeah. that's totally wrong and be super confident yeah. in it? That's not okay. <laughs> I've even given people opportunities where they say, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I know where I can find the answer. And I'll say, okay, pull up your browser and find it. And I'll give them a few minutes. I'll go get a cup of coffee and I'll come back. And they'll be like, this is what the answer is. I'm like, that's awesome. You just demonstrated one, you know how to say, I don't know. And two, you were able to find the answer. So yeah, yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David stated some recon skills. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just jumping back about five, ten minutes ago, you mentioned, and I go over it, but I just want to take us back to it because I, I do think it's important for, for I think the exact wording you use were commercial awareness or a good understanding of business. And I think that's so relevant. I notice it myself with what I do, dealing with lots of different types of businesses. And obviously as a pen tester, as a cybersecurity engineer, as a cloud security engineer, if you're working on a consultancy basis, you're frequently dealing with people across industries and various businesses. So I think to have that understanding of how different business models work and so on and so forth is clearly going to be advantageous. Is that something you've naturally picked up dealing with different businesses or have you got some kind of go-to learning material or have you harnessed refined that skill yeah i have not i can't say that there's any specific resource out there that i go reference or anything like that for the most part it's been trial by fire i have good leadership at Ashura, and i rely heavily on the senior leaders at the c-suite level our vice president that have been through it right? They run their own business. They've run businesses before this. They've worked at Fortune 500s and in high levels of leadership. And so learning from them and asking questions, I go to them all the time and say, hey, this is how I think this is going to go or how I think this should be. What am I not seeing here? And they'll go, oh no, you got to look at it from this perspective or bring this piece of knowledge into it. And, and so that's for me, the biggest thing is finding somebody that you can trust who's been there and done that can serve as a mentor to you to help you learn those things. Otherwise it is going to be pretty much just trial by fire, right? You'll figure out what's works and what doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that loops quite nicely back in as well with yes, having someone you trust, but also again, not being scared to say, look, I'm not quite sure what's going on here, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it loops in quite nicely with what you just said before as well. So yeah, cool. Nick, a question I get in my DMs a lot. I want to, I like to make the pod for if someone's going into leadership, maybe they're a senior, but they're going into a, a head of or a direct position or mids. But I also like it to cater for juniors. I like it to cater for business owners as well. If my clients are client base are listening and stuff like that. But if we, go for junior just for just a moment a question i get a lot in my dms and it's hard to keep up with the answers but it goes a little something like this i've got no experience in infosec how do i break in what tips have you got for people listening because i know this is like such yeah. a frequently asked question yeah it's probably the question i get the most as well i would say anybody who's in the in inside probably gets this pretty frequently. The big thing I like to point out to those that come to me with that question is that InfoSec 
is a very large and continues to expand field. Obviously, a lot of people get drawn to it because like we just talked about earlier, penetration testing, it's sexy, it's cool, that type of thing. But there's so much more to it. And my recommendation is figure out what you're passionate about and why you want to be inside of information security. Is it because you like to build things? Then maybe you would like to be on the security engineering side. Is it because you want to defend and you have that sense of purpose there? Maybe you want to be on the SOC or digital forensic side, or maybe you have that really analytical mind there. Again, digital forensics or penetration testing. For me, I liked puzzles. I, you see me on camera, but I have tons of Rubik's cubes and stuff behind me. I love puzzles. And so for me, that's what drew me to pen testing is that it's a puzzle. It's everything's it's different every time and you have to figure it out. And there's also governance risk and compliance, the GRC side of things, where if you do have strong communication skills, you maybe don't have a good technical background, but that's a good route to break in, honestly. And I think, and I recommend, actually recommend GRC more and more to people as time goes on, because I think that getting into the industry as a security analyst on the GRC side learning about the business, learning about how the program supports the business's mission and vision helps you later on, if you do develop that technical acumen, to then translate that easily. And that's how it worked for me. So I started in the GRC side and I learned about why we were doing what we're doing and how we're supporting the business. Then when I went over to start doing, I worked in a SOC for a while. And then when I actually took on pen testing a few years ago, I understood why we were doing what we're doing. How does this support the overall information security program? How is this helping the business achieve its mission and vision? How is it helping achieve its bottom line? And so I think it comes back to that. Figure out what you want to do and what suits you and then Make connections. That's a huge thing is make connections. Put yourself out there. Again, communication skills. Mm -hmm. Go to conferences. I can't tell you how many people I meet at conferences that are trying to get into the industry and they make a good impression on me or they make a good impression on another director at Ashura. And that name floats around for a year as, <laughs> hey, does anyone have an opportunity? Does anyone have an open position coming up? Especially if you follow up on LinkedIn or back in the day when I got in, there was a lot of in-face, in-person stuff. So I actually went and had lunch with the CEO and sent them, sent the office flowers that matched the color scheme of the office. Oh, wow. Really put that touch on it and didn't hear from them for six months. But again, my name floated around and after some time, all of a sudden I get this random email that says, hey, are you still looking for a job? It's making those impressions on people, demonstrating that you're actually just somebody that people want to work with. We can teach you how to do the cool stuff. We can teach you the technical skills. We can teach you what GRC is. We can teach you all of those things. And I think most organizations that are worth being in have that mindset and that mentality. It's really putting yourself out there as someone willing to learn, someone that's good to work with, good to communicate with, and making those connections that's going to help you the most. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And again, there's quite a bit there that I'd just like to just just unpack, really. But I yeah. really like what you said as well about find something that you're really passionate about because it probably goes back again to what we were talking about maybe 15, 20 minutes ago, which was your motivation at times is going to fade. So that's when if you genuinely are passionate about something and you've got, even if you haven't got loads of discipline, if you've got like that raw passion, I know from personal experience, it just, it's a big help. I, yeah, I really hear what you're saying on that. And I think as well, if people just reverse engineer the situation for a second, I, I've had it before where people trying to enter the industry have got frustrated and stuff like that. But if it was as simple as, I'd like to be a cybersecurity engineer, I'd like to be a pen test, then it was just, Okay, yes, no problem. That would just to say that out loud, you know, I'm obviously just joking, but it, it's never ever going to work like that. And I really like that story to think that you, I like the fact that you've sent flowers that actually match the color. Was it the color scheme of the office or the logo of yeah. the brand you were, or both? Or? Yeah, they so yeah. Ashura had just 
gone through a re not I guess a rebranding is probably the best term for it, where their color scheme had changed to three different shades of purple. And they they brought me in, treated me to lunch, let me meet a whole bunch of people from the team. And just out of the kindness of their own heart, there wasn't any, obviously there was almost nothing in it for them at the time. They didn't have a job for me. They just took me in to talk to me because I asked them to. And so I just wanted to give them something. And I was talking with my wife about it and she said, send flowers. And so we went on and we found some flowers that almost perfectly matched the color scheme and wrote a nice handwritten note and sent it off. And like I said, about six months later, I heard back and that was one of the things that put the nail in the coffin for them where they said, we want this guy. Cause that's, yeah. that shows something above and beyond just a handshake and all right, thanks. Thanks for lunch. See you later. That type of thing. I had the afterthought to do something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I really like that. And I think really, I think in the commercial world, look, I, I know from different, I was arranging this and stuff, Nick, you're busy, I know myself, I'm busy. In the commercial world, anyone that's moving forward and cracking on tends to be a pretty busy guy or girl. So I think, I think don't be afraid to, as long as you're polite, I don't, I think don't be afraid to be persistent, not reach yeah. out every five minutes, but you can reach out on, on, on multiple occasions as long as you are thoughtful polite and persistent and yeah that that flower listen there'll be there'll be infosec companies up and across america now just getting like bunches of flowers <laughs> yes yeah probably <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> owner of a store is going to ring you up next week and go nick we've got 10 bunches of flowers it doesn't have to be flowers i think no. these days for me the biggest thing is if you get if you meet me out in public or whatever and we strike up a good conversation linkedin's a powerful tool I can't tell you how many people say they're going to follow up with you and they never do. You have a really good conversation with them in person. It seems like it's going to go somewhere and then it doesn't. And then those are the same people on there saying, Hey, I wish I could find a place. I wish I could get a job. But then there's other individuals that, like you said, they almost time it perfectly. Every couple of weeks or something, they reach out and, Hey, how are you doing? I saw you posted this. That really helped me. And it's just, they're not really asking you for anything. It's just, you're developing that relationship. You're nurturing that relationship. And I can tell you, I have a few people in my feed right now that um, their names come up in conversation. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. You're talking to that person too. All right. Yeah. We're maybe if something works out in the future, we'll get that individual in here, that type of thing. And so it, yeah. it makes a big difference reaching yeah. out, giving something, some meaningful message. Yeah, it does, Nick. And I think as well, aligning expectations correctly. I just think on social media, everything's so instant now, now. And it's like you said, the, the chances of actually reaching out to someone and everything aligning, the timings being perfect are so slim. I think it's important to have some realistic timelines in mind and have a more of a, a long-term approach. Because if you don't, you're probably going to get frustrated quite easily. And then that could come across to potential employers and so on and so forth. Not bode well, really, if that. If yeah, you know. absolutely. I think that's one of the, one of the big fallacies in the industry right now is you see the commercials on TV, right? 700 million or some crazy number, cybersecurity jobs available. There's a huge shortage, this, that, and the other. And so you think it's going to be really easy. I'm just going to be able to throw a dart at a wall and I'll hit a job. In reality, it's not that simple. <laughs> and mm. if we could hire everybody, we would, but we can't. And so we have to be selective about those individuals. And so curate, like we said, curating that relationship really is an important piece of finding the job you want. Not just finding a job, but finding the job you want. Because there are, I'll call them cybersecurity mills out there that will just hire anybody and throw you into a position and you're just a number. For me, that's not the type of job I want. I want to be a part of a team and be close knit and really enjoy what I'm doing. And yeah, I think there is a little bit of a misconception that it's a lot easier and it's easy to get frustrated. And so I would say, keep at it, <laughs> keep curating those relationships and eventually you'll find what you want. Yeah, no, definitely. And by the way, you're absolutely right. The media loves to kick out this rhetoric that there's a skills gap, which there is, but there's a skills gap for, I think there's a skills gap for people that have 
got all the things we're talking about. You, you're, you've got some experience for one. You're commercially aware. You know how to piece a report together. You can deal with end clients. You create. Uh, if, it's, if we're talking about if we're talking about cloud, you're familiar with Azure. GCP and for someone of that caliber there's a massive skills gap and it's why people like me exist because there's a massive demand there and it outweighs the supply but yeah it's not just a case of yeah there's not a skills gap at the junior end of the market you've got to yeah. be doing stuff to to make yourself stand out and you mentioned LinkedIn I think LinkedIn I always harp on about this but it's LinkedIn is a golden opportunity to make that resume 3D and yeah. give employers something to look at. I know loads of internal recruiters that just click on in they just click on LinkedIn profiles now. They're hardly even looking at their resumes. And in some ways I get it. They want to see what's going on Twitch or YouTube channels, LinkedIn itself. So it's yeah, there's loads that can be loads that can be done. But thanks. Thank you, my friend. I'll I'll move on to the next question. Strange market at the minute. Uh, again, if I just talk about my own client base, I know I've got companies within cybersecurity that are hiring quite aggressively. I've got clients that have turned the tap off altogether and are doing nothing with us this year. So it's a strange time. I know from conversations we've had off air, I won't go into too much detail, but I know you're doing well. I know you're busy. I know you're expanded. I know you're moving forward. What do you think, why are some companies still absolutely killing it and some companies perhaps struggling, do you think? Yeah, I think there there's probably two two aspects to why companies are not doing well. One, I, we went through a major the economy went through a major tech boom where VCs were just throwing cash at, at everybody who had a bright idea, right? And I think they've all started calling in the calling in those the checks back and, and saying, "Hey, you've got to start delivering." And if you're not going to deliver, then fund you anymore. And so I think that's why we see these massive dumps where all of a sudden you get on LinkedIn or you get on Twitter or X, whatever it's being called these days, and you get on there and you just see this flood of, I've been laid off and it's from XYZ company. And the next post down is this, another person from that company. And you just, you go through 10 or 15 of them and you're like, wow, they just dumped half their staff. I think a lot of it was that tech boom and COVID played a big part in that as well, where people were giving extremely bloated salaries and couldn't keep up with that. So I think we're seeing a lot of pullback there just economically. But then I also think that we're also starting to see, especially in the consulting field, that clients are wising up to what they're being sold. And if you are a pretender, so to speak, and you're maybe an IT MSP and you wanted to get into cybersecurity because that was the new hotness. People are starting to figure that out and they're saying, this, you're not meeting my needs. You're not serving us the best quality. And so they're moving on to greener pastures. And for us, at least at Assura, that's all we specialize in. We are a cybersecurity company. We don't do IT MSP work. We don't do any IT functions. We are a cybersecurity company. And bigger than that, I think this is one of our big edges, is that we're a holistic cybersecurity company. There's a lot of boutique cybersecurity firms and nothing, I don't take anything away from them. I think they're necessary because there is a, there's a place for the boutique market where, hey, we do defer and we do it the best, or we do penetration testing and red teaming and we are the best at this. That's great. We need those. But we also need more companies that are blurring the lines where instead of just going, you can go to one any of the big five consulting companies and you can get pen testing, you can get SOC, you can get digital forensics, you can get threat hunting, incident response, you can get MDR, XDR, you name the service, you can get it all from them. But none of those departments are talking to one another. They all have their own service towers. They're all delivering independently. Whereas something that we're doing is we do talk. So if we have crossover of services inside of a client, we do a really good job internally of communicating what is going on across those lines to deliver a more effective service to somebody. And so we're trying to blur the lines of red versus blue and GRC oversees the whole thing. And it's really, you're getting the total package. And I think that we're seeing more companies 
be able to offer that ability and they're succeeding where others are not doing well because they're being found out or they're just not living up to the expectations of their clients. Yeah, no, thanks, Nick. And uh, I suppose as well, it enables you to, if you've got multiple services, it's the same on the recruitment side, effectively, you can land and expand. It's like you, that someone approaches you for, for pen testing. If you've got SOC capabilities as well, then great. And also they're not talking to the competition. So I can imagine that's quite a nice feeling as well. <laughs> it's the yes, same, on, same on the recruitment side. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same. I can really relate to what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, makes makes sense. So do, you've given us quite a bit. That do, do you think there's any? This is more for I'm sure people listening and fellow business owners and leaders will be interested as well. But do you think there's any? Do you think there's any other reasons? Because it just it really does just fascinate me. Like there's such a stark difference from company to company. It's it, it, it's crazy, really. No, I'm sure there are. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can't think of one on the spot. But I mm. think that's a lot of it. it one, the economic downturn to being in a position in service delivery that you were not prepared to be in, whether that be qualified staff or your model of service delivery, just not living up to client expectations. And then, like I said, it also depends on the client. Some of them want that boutique specialist, best of breed that I want the absolute best of the best for this service. Whereas others would rather offload the entire thing. Hey, mm. I want to come to you with my information security program, meaning everything. Mm. And I want you to take care of it and let me know if there's a problem. <laughs> and, mm. and it's great. We can do that for you. And so I think those are starting to rise to the top where one, you can either offload all of your burden to them or as much of your burden as possible, or those boutique firms where they're the cream of the crop and they're the best of the best. And it's all about one, what your budget is as a business, because that's a big factor there. And then what your desired outcome is. Do you want, are you ready? Other question is, are you ready for the best of the best? <laughs> and a lot of times yeah. the answers for that is maybe not. <laughs> yeah. You may not need the absolute tip of the spear red team to come in and destroy your environment or show you that, hey, you exactly. left the back door unlocked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's say for a red team engagement, I know from speaking to companies within my client base, their clients think they want a red team until they, A, find, do they realize how, these things aren't cheap say, as well as anyone. A red team engagement is, so it's, you're going to have to have deep pockets. And like I say, if your security posture, same with book bounty, if your security posture isn't of a certain standard, then you, know, you pay all that money and the game's up in half an hour. That could be a little bit on the frustrating yeah. side. <laughs> and that's, that's something that when I'm talking to a prospective client, I do a lot of asking questions in terms of, what have you done previously? How have you already assessed yourself? How confident are you that I won't be able to get in? And why is that? And you can pretty much figure out real quick whether all they really need is a vulnerability assessment, or maybe they need a external network pen test, or maybe they want to do external and internal. Maybe now we want to do some assumed breach or something like that. It's very rare that I've ever run into a client and the first time we talk to them, I'm confident that they're ready for a red teaming engagement. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know. I think I have talked to maybe one, <laughs> but it's pretty yeah. rare that they come in and they can show you a history of being resilient to attack. And so meeting them where they're at and setting that expectation and communicating that effectively, again, comes back to leadership, right? Being able to communicate that effectively and ask the right questions is really important. One, to not disappoint the client, but also to do meaningful work on our end. Yeah. Yeah, no, cool. I'm imagining if the client wants to get to book bounty or red team level, like I said, that is, for a lot of companies, I'm imagining it's very much a journey, probably quite a long one, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy working through that. We've got some clients that have been with us five, six years now, and I've seen the progression. I'm like, we'll have a check-in quarterly or something like that. And I'll say, hey, I think you guys are ready for the next piece. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel with where we're at right now. I think you guys are ready for the next piece of this. And especially, like you said, talking about getting into bug bounty, and this is something I like to tell new people is, you have to realize that most of the time, if an organization's willing to put themselves out there and offer a bounty on bugs, it's because they're pretty confident they're not going to have to pay. <laughs> they didn't just do that because they wanted to 
this is the first time they're testing themselves. Hopefully they've been through some extremely thorough testing and yeah. really the best of the best are going to find bugs and everyone else is not. Yeah, That's the motivation. yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely. No, uh, no business enjoys just like I say. No business enjoys giving money away. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my. This is one of my favourite questions, and this is predominantly what my LinkedIn. Pre- no, I mix it up a bit these days with my LinkedIn content, but for a long time, I just used to ping down the best learning resources I could get my hands on through predominantly pen testers that I knew, but just any people within cybersecurity that I knew on the candidate side. To get to the point, the question is, what online learning resources have you discovered? Could be offensive security, could be more cybersecurity related that that have had the most positive impact on your career so far? So on the offensive security side, this is going back a ways. Nowadays, I tend to try to do more in-person lessons or like limited time, not coursework, so to speak, but Mm. I don't even know what you'd call it. More like boutique classes that somebody puts on. I would totally destroy his name. I cannot say it, but there's a gentleman that just put on a Windows internals course. And I was in one of the groups for that. And so Mm. learning about API calls to the Windows kernel and things like that doing those are really good for me now. Back in the day, <laughs> I was really into Vulnhub and that was one of the only places you could go to practice. There wasn't THM. Hack the Box was around. You had to hack to get into it. There was no, you couldn't just go sign up for it. And the boxes were pretty good, but there, there wasn't as much extensive content as there is now there. I think today, someone getting into it can go online and find introductory level content almost anywhere. And the quality is most likely going to be high, whether it be any of the people that are on YouTube that have a large channel, anyone, you go to try hack me, you go to hack the box, you go to TCM, you go to offsec. INE has done okay with taking on eLearn securities program and, Mm -hmm. and Pentester Academy, but could be better, I think. Then you've got on the website, you've got Port Swiggers Academy. Yeah, you just, you name it, there's content out there and people are blogging more than they used to. You can follow Twitter threads that are just amazing. Now LinkedIn's becoming a good resource. So I think there's no shortage of good resources for someone getting in. So I would say find what you enjoy and what speaks to you and then go down that rabbit hole. Try not to get too distracted by the fact that there are so many resources. Trust me, I've tried to read them all. You can't. It's just not possible. (laughs) Outside of that, I would say some really good resources. So I'm a big fan professionally in terms of like leadership development. Echelon Front, which is run by a gentleman named Jocko Willink, has been a really good resource for me. I'm part of their leadership academy. And so that's been a really good opportunity there. And I've learned a ton from them. And then I would say find some good resources around writing and communication. The ones that I have used most recently that I think benefited me, it's I am not going to be able to remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, Nick, if you can't, don't worry. What we can do is if you ping me, if you ping me when we're okay. finished on the email or LinkedIn or whatever, we'll um, I'll make sure it goes in the show notes after. And do you know what I was just gonna I was just gonna say is okay. on that writing and communication piece for everyone listening, for anyone that's thinking, why not just adopt what you said at the start of the show, which is just even if it's twenty minutes a day, fifteen minutes a day, thirty minutes a day, just something that's sustainable so you can get the benefit of the compound effect. Because I think someone that does that now, the communication and their writing skills this time next year are going to be 10x better. They're going to be a lot better. So just wanted to add that in there. I don't even know if you finished your answer, but I just thought I'd put in there. (laughs) No, I think that's a good way to clean up where I left off. Yeah, in terms of writing, there are some good – I'll get you those resources, the ones that I've looked at. Thanks, mate. I can't remember them. I know Chris Sanders – that's the gentleman that made one of the courses that I took. It's like technical writing for pen testers or something like that. There's some really good resources out there. So I think overall, if you want to run down the same path I have, 
find yourself some good technical resources that will teach you the skills you want to know. Find yourself some soft skills resources for communication, both verbally and written, and find yourself some leadership resources that, that strike a chord with you, whether it be Simon Sinek or whether it be Jocko Willink or you name the leadership gurus that are out there. It's all about finding what speaks to you, sticking to that path, I think, coming back to discipline. Don't, don't just pivot every time you get bored. You won't make it very far if you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Next question, my friend, is which book have you read? I'm going to change, I change that book or podcast because I know sometimes people are too busy to sit down with a hardback these days. But which book or podcast have you set eyes on that's had the biggest impact on your career progression? Going back to Jocko, extreme ownership, I think, has probably not even just professionally, but in my own life has probably had the biggest effect. Taking ownership over everything in your life <laughs> to the greatest extent okay. possible really makes a big difference and allows you to move forward, right? And that's something I think a lot of us get stuck with is finding a reason that something happened, whether it be blaming a situation or another person or whatnot, always finding how you could have better prepared yourself, better reacted, better been aware of your situation. And that helps you to be able to adjust, move forward, detach from the situation and see it is for, see it for what it is. And so I would recommend that book to anybody, regardless of whether you're looking to go down the management track or what have you. It's really just a great book for your life overall. Yeah, definitely. A really good, not just for your, not just for your career, but just a personal, o overall, real kind of self-development book. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's definitely marketed as a leadership book, but okay. I think it, it applies everywhere. Okay, cool. Mate, last question, I promise. Okay. <laughs> all good, all good. Mentors, I think mentors are a huge part of, of self-development. Who's been your mentor over the years? And if I'm listening and I haven't got a mentor, but I'd like one, or maybe I've got mentors, but I'd like additional ones, how can I get a mentor? And yeah, how can I get a mentor and who's been your mentor? So how to get a mentor? I think, again, it comes back to, and I had this conversation on Ashura's podcast not that long ago about mentorship. And so I think that for me, defining what a mentor is initially is probably the best place to start. I don't think a mentor is someone that is there to necessarily coach you through your entire journey to get you where you want to be. Meaning that they're not assigning you homework and checking in and grading. Did you do this? Did you do that? That type of thing. Now they may offer that type of information to you, but I think that's more of a tutor. A mentor is someone that I see myself aligning with more philosophically in the long term, where I see where they've gotten into their career, into their life. I want to be in the same position and I want to learn from them how they did it and how they became the person that they have become and not necessarily trying to repeat those steps exactly, which is what I think a lot of people try to do. And so for me, I hope I don't blow his head up too much, but my CTO, Josh Cole at Ashura, has definitely been a mentor to me. He's not a pen tester. He doesn't have that background. It does have a security background for sure. And so it's just learning from him how he approaches things. How does he learn things? How does he handle difficult situations? How does he balance work and life? And how does, you know, all of the different things that you can take away from someone. It just is very good at communicating and we just connect. And so for me, having someone like that and previous to that, I played drumline in high school and my drumline instructor, we had a really good connection and maintained it so much so that he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding and oh, he was nice. a software developer. And so again, not a pen tester, but I go to him with problems, whether it be personal, whether it be professional, what have you, he's in a place in his life that I want to get to. And it's just having those resources that align with you and speak to you on that level and being able to have that trusted relationship with them, that they're going to steer you in the right direction. 
even if that's not the exact same path that they took. And so getting a mentor, I think, comes down to finding someone that you are able to connect to with that. I don't know. Again, there's a lot of people who have different opinions of this. I don't know that necessarily going out and specifically seeking a mentor is the best way to go. For me, in my situations where I am the mentor or in the situations that I just mentioned with Josh and my old drumline instructor, they just developed naturally. And I think that for that reason, they're the most genuine. I certainly wouldn't go pay somebody to be my mentor. Again, I feel like that's more you're paying for a tutor at that point. So I think meeting someone that that speaks to you on that level and again, nurturing that relationship. And I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing it up and just saying, hey, I admire where you're at in your life and your career, and I want to get to where you're at. Do you mind if every once in a while we sit down, we have a one-on-one and we talk? I just want to be able to run things by you, get your advice on things. And so I think just developing and nurturing that type of relationship with someone is, is how you get there. Like I said, I shy away from a lot of what we see on, again, LinkedIn and stuff where, mm. hey, you can pay ninety nine ninety five for an hour session with me and I'll mentor you. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Cool, Nick. Thanks for that, mate. And I think as well, this, like I said, you said at the start of that question, the first thing you said was defining what a mentor is. And I think that's quite interesting because there's almost different versions. Like you could have a mentor, you could be watching a YouTuber who's teaching cloud security skills. That could yeah. be a form of mentor. Actually, Josh, who you work with, that is a, a, another form of mentor. So I think you can have lots of different, I think you can yeah. come in lots of different iterations. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think is important is figuring out what works for you. You may not have actually any interactive relationship with that person. Like you said, if it's somebody that's on YouTube where you're just consuming their content, but nonetheless, they're imparting the lessons that they've learned on you. And that's Mm. valuable to you. And there's nothing wrong with that either. So it all comes down to what your personal preference is and what you find value in. Yeah, very good. All right, I think that's a nice place to end. Thank you for your time. And I know I say this most weeks, but normally it kind of overruns, but it's definitely overrun with me and you. But thank you, mate. It's been great. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that I haven't or anything that we've missed out or? Oh, no, but it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Nick, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed that episode. Cheers, Nick. Thanks.